we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where, well, we're just going to say we're here. I don't have anything witty to say, because the rest of the wit will come later as we talk about our stories and journeys of emotions and tears and fears and anger and hypocrisy within, well, pretty much anything. I mean, stories, movies, books, video games, whatever. Whatever brings those emotions out, we're going to be talking about that. I'm just proud of you for working with what you got. I'm proud that we can have a conversation about feeling anything at all. We can feel. That's right. We're not weirdos behind a mic that don't feel. Um, Yes, we have feelings. I mean, that's, I mean, really, that's the whole point of storytelling. I mean, is to evoke an emotion. When we go to see a movie, we're going to a movie to have some emotion evoked within us, whether that's fear with a horror movie, whether that's laughter uh, from a comedy, whether that's excitement or thrill from an action or suspense movie. Uh, we're looking for uh, some sort of emotion to be invoked within us. The same with when we're reading a book or playing a video game, because then we get emotionally tied to whatever that story, that game, that book, uh, or that movie is that draws us further and further in. Because if we're not feeling emotions, we're not invested. We don't care. Uh, you know, when I'm watching a movie and it's just like, okay, um, I mean, I, I may get, I may get smacked for this, but I don't get drawn into Harry Potter. I don't feel those emotions. Um, you know, I do know that there are people that they started reading Harry Potter and they connected, they felt those emotions as Harry because they were near the same age or they were parents reading it to their child. And so they were pulled in because they were able to kind of hijack or ride on their, their child's emotions. Uh, for me, I, I, that wasn't me. I, it just wasn't emotionally charged and drew me in. Um, now there are other books, there are other movies out there that definitely do that. Um, so as well as, you know, role-playing games, you know, I, I know before we started rolling that we talked about a couple of things that definitely were emotional, uh, that ex- made the game more exciting for us. So where should we begin with this, with this subject? Because it's a fairly large subject. Um, we can sound monotone or be like Ben Stein asking for Ferris Bueller uh, over and over, but that's just not us. We're never that monotone. We have passions. We, we're excited. And, you know, as Krebs signs off every time, don't suck. But the way I say it doesn't <laughs> sound the same way he says it because it's don't suck. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have emotion. We have passion for a reason. And so in terms of like, where do we begin? Um, I mean, we, we there are a couple ways we could, we could kick this off. And I don't think it matters which one we choose because we'll get to both of them eventually. You know what? Let's start. Let's start with this. First of all, before we share examples and stories from our own history, um, should we first talk about the merits of of what it means to be emotionally invested in something as ultimately trivial as a tabletop game? Like, why would we do that? Why would we expose ourselves to that? Well, I, I honestly, I think when we are emotionally invested, we're invested within the game. 
You know, it's not just a, hey, I'm going over to hang out with my buddies and roll some dice. You know, Monopoly, for me, is not an emotionally invested game. I sit down, I roll some dice, I may win, I may lose, who cares at the end of the day. When I sit down at the table with a character playing a tabletop game, I've spent time developing that character. I know that character's weaknesses, his strengths, his flaws. I know what that character is going to do if he sees a dog, you know, because maybe he had a puppy when he was a kid and his puppy was his only friend because there was no other, pe- no other kids that, may- that were friends with him when he was growing up. You know, maybe he, he, he was a little weird, a little awkward. So that puppy was his only friend. Later on, that, that puppy died for some reason. I don't know yet. But later on, he comes across another dog that's maybe half starved and wounded in this burnt out village. And he saves that dog and, res- you know, and that dog gets better and healthier. And now that dog is threatened by an ogre. What is that character going to do? He's going to go berserk and attack the, the ogre. I know that because I've developed that. And those emotions that you mixed in there, just in that brief story, a lot of people can relate. You know, a lot of people that love dogs can like, oh yeah, I know what how that feels. I know what it feels like when I've lost my dog or um, when someone threatens my dog. So I think emotions are important. It helps us relate to things because that's how we relate to things as humans. That's excellent. Alton, what are your thoughts? Why would we want to be that kind of emotionally invested in something so trivial as a tabletop game? Well, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of different gamers. And so I have a lot of complex feelings around this, um, which is why I've been a little silent trying to put all that together in my head. Because I think that it mean, that, that gaming means different things to different people, particularly when it involves characters. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that I've talked about as a game designer is that the advantage I have as a game designer is I'm in your head, right? Turning knobs, flipping switches, pulling levers. Well, it's the same thing when we go through a creative process to build a character. We are often imbuing parts of ourselves, sometimes very important parts of ourselves into that character. Um, even if we aren't going into it with that mindset, there's a degree of empathy that's required in order for us to be able to act, to be able to pretend to be something or someone else, right? And so for some players, they work very, very hard um, intentionally or not to avoid things that are too personal or too real. Um, But that can enable you, if you're that type of player, to have a lot of fun being something that you know you are not. I know some of the sweetest people in the world who sit down and play an amazing evil character and knock it out of the park every single time. Truth. Not because they are evil, but because that's something that is so distinct from what they are the rest of the time that it can be a lot of fun. I myself am that way. It's one of the reasons that I love games with a lot of heavy politics and back and forth and manipulation and deceit. I'm not that way in real life. Um, But I love being at a table where I can just do that because I know there are no consequences and it's all going to be left at the cardboard, in the dice, whatever, at the end of the day, right? Um, On the opposite side of things, you do have players who in some ways 
allow characters to be therapeutic um, in which they're able to tackle personal issues or character flaws or things that they're trying to change about themselves. Um, and in those instances, it can be a very powerful experience. Um, one of my most powerful experiences ever, in fact, the only time that I have legitimately cried over a character, like felt real emotion over a character, um, was one in which I built this, uh, this Tengu character, uh, bird person, um, and I, in doing the research, I'd never learned of a, I'd never played a Tengu or a Kenku before, and so I went and I was doing research into the underlying mythos of what those races were, right? And ended up going back to a lot of the original Japanese mythology around this concept of these uh, bird people who had a dog guardian form, right? And that their, their whole intent, their whole purpose was to uh, self-actualize, to create that moment in which they could ascend to essentially deity to be able to come back and guide those who needed help. And so I loved that. And I poured that into the theme of my character, the way that I played him off. Um, and we got through the entire campaign up to the final big, bad, evil guy. And in the middle of that, we vanquished the big, bad, evil guy. I'm dealing the killing blow. And one of the players next to me uh, motions to the GM and says, I, I'm going to kill him while he's occupied and comes after me. Um, he and what? I and the rest of the party engage in glorious combat at the literal end of the world. The stakes in this campaign were such that if we could not kill the big bad evil guy and stop this event from happening, the plane that we were on would collapse in on itself. It would be the end of everything. And we played out this big epic battle between he and I and a series of bad roles. I died. Um, and I just like, it kind of shocked me for a moment. First off that the GM would allow this other player to turn evil now at the very last second of the campaign. But I also found myself like in this space of, I was so close. I've been playing this campaign the whole way, trying to build this character out. And the GM did something vitally important that changed my perspective, um, not only as a player who had never had an emotional connection to a character before, but also around what a character death can be, in which he stopped everything and took five minutes, I kid you not, and narrated not only what my character saw in their final moments of life, but what happened as they passed through into the next and that moment of self-actualization. I get a little choked up even now thinking about it um, because it was so deep and meaningful to me personally as somebody who has always wanted a voice because I didn't always have one and because I see an opportunity to help others who might not have that voice and to enable a character to move on to become that type of a guardian figure, um, not only to a myriad of other souls, but specifically uh, to members of my own party. 
was a beautiful, beautiful moving moment. And again, I, <clears throat> I didn't even realize over the course of the campaign that I was becoming that emotionally invested in my character. Um, <laughs> but just over the process of playing that out, that became a really vital, cool and important piece to me for that campaign. Um, and, and, you know, those are obviously the two extreme ends, right? The people who only play things that they distinctly aren't and the people who imbue everything that they have into their character or find that core truth and core belief. Um, but that's where I see a lot of value as I think both of you do and many other people do in being able to project ourselves into a situation to be able to simulate or emulate experiences that we might not be able to have in our day-to-day -day lives just across the the actual risks that we deal with every day and the actual problems we're trying to solve every day this is an opportunity to be in a different space and it doesn't have to be role-playing games either right like there are books that i have similar experiences with films that i have similar experiences with um and uh video games that i've had similar experiences with um i, I hopefully that kind of helps to put some of that into perspective i know i talked for a while there but so you know as as a reminder to the folks at home but of course you guys know this i do have an acting background i'm not a you know i'm not like a stellar well-developed professional actor or anything like that but i've done a few things that i'm i'm a little proud of uh and one of the things that has been most difficult for me as an actor and i've had to work on it for years and i'm still not there yet but i've made improvements is as an actor you know, everyone thinks that acting is about pretending. And the truth is the best acting anywhere is not pretend. The best acting anywhere is real emotion coming out of the pores of the performer, having real emotional reactions. It's not about pretending. It's about really experiencing something. When uh, the movie American Psycho was being filmed, originally they approached Leonardo DiCaprio. And Leo looked over the script and turned down the job. And his response, uh, the reason he did that, he said, every time I perform, uh, every, every time I fill a role, some piece of that role comes back with me. There's some part of it that becomes part of who I am and I can't get rid of it. So he didn't want that in his person when he was done. Mm -hmm. So he passed on the role. And he and then Christian Bale picks it up and does brilliant things with it, right? But we also know that Christian Bale has also had his troubling moments since, right? Uh, Heath Ledger had a very similar experience with the Joker, and it's often it's uh, his role as the Joker is often blamed for his early demise. Uh, here we are, we're talking about role playing, and we've talked in the past about the power of role playing as a therapeutic tool. So bringing this full circle. Uh, if we allow ourselves to become emotionally invested, does that not pose risk? Is there risk in that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there definitely is risk. Um, because like with anything, you know, emotions are powerful. Uh, you can become obsessive. Um, and there are times where we get obsessive with our character or we maybe get obsessive with gameplay or that so-and-so is getting, you know, is not getting as much game time as you or play time, or maybe that the, the DMs being a little bit more, let's say 
like not as harsh on their character as they are on yours <laughs> uh when in reality it's just the roll of the dice i mean let's let's face it when the dice are rolled once it leaves the dm's hand he has no control or she has no control of how those dice fall the only control they have is when it's in their hand and they let go after that who knows what happens with that die it's the same way with a player there is no control once that die is cast um but when emotions are tied and you're very invested in this character you put hours and blood sweat and tears your own emotions like you said you know when you're 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 crying over your dog your dog in game dying there is a piece of you that remembers that is evoking those emotions from when your own pet died um and so you are you're tied to this character and when that character dies and you aren't ready to let go of them you suddenly fall into the patterns of grief you know yeah. denial is there uh and you you start moving through those stages yeah i mean along similar lines uh, you know even even in situations where it isn't role playing games i mean think about how many times you've heard the story of somebody flipping a table over monopoly oh, yeah yeah right like <laughs> and and the thing is is that in a day-to-day -day situation completely out of context no person is going oh yeah no i'll <laughs> i'm gonna get so angry when i lose the game today right like you don't get that way but you start to put yourself into the roles you start to put yourself into the pitfalls and the small things that get in the way even that is that type of emotional empathy. It doesn't necessarily have to be a character per se. Yeah. It's just that personal investment in what's going on and what's going on with the people around you as well. So, you know, there's, um, I, I don't want to say the, uh, the actual brand of the thing, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about once I say it. But there is a now since deceased, um, uh, cartoonist who had certain religious views and would make all of these pamphlets called tracts that he would, you know, sell or distribute that were um, comic book style explanations of these religious principles. One of them had to do with the dangers of role playing. This harkens back to the 80s when <laughs> role playing was associated with devil worshiping and satan satanic cult cults and things like that uh which we now know in retrospect we're talking about a very teeny tiny percentage where that actually was true uh in fact if anything it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy but that's another episode for another day uh <laughs> so this comic came out and the concept is that you have this otherwise nice young lady who gets pulled into a D, &D uh group and the DM, who's also female, is obviously evil, very black hat, you know. Um, and here's this nice young girl, and she's getting pulled, and she loves the power that she feels when she's this character. Meanwhile, another person who's been playing the game for a while, their character dies, and they, like, lose their mind. In fact, in the comic strip, spoilers, in the comic strip, uh, that person after the character is killed in the game and they are sent away from the table um that night they go home and they kill themselves because they can't imagine life without starfire or whatever the name of the character was so now that is a caricature and that's something that 
I would feel comfortable saying the three of us do not subscribe to. But um, this goes back to the question of risk. When, when you have that emotional attachment, you lose that character, you have those emotional moments, does that hurt the game for you? Does, is, is there risk in hating the game once that's done? For me personally, not necessarily. Um, the only times that I have walked away from a game actually upset are in non-game situations. Meaning that I sat at a table for an in, in indeterminate amount of time, 30 minutes, two hours, my worst experience, one of my worst experiences ever with a game was a six and a half hour game of Talisman oh, in which I killed one monster and nothing else. Oh my um, gosh. And, and so those types of non-game situations, I personally get kind of riled up. That being said, I have interacted with people who um, to, you know, steal an unofficial term that I was referring to earlier, who are in that kind of therapeutic, high empathy, high sympathy role play type of scenario um, who have taken real emotional, mental strain damage from not being able to see something through to completion or who were in a scenario that just didn't end up working out for that character. Um, and I want to be very, very clear as I say this, if you are one of those people or if you know one of those people, I by no means am trying to belittle that situation. That is a real emotional reaction based on real emotional needs. Do not misread anything that I say just because I haven't had that experience or because I don't fully understand it to that degree. But what I do understand is being emotionally compromised. I do understand not being able to achieve something that I care about uh, or, or being able to see something through that is important and vital to objectives that I'm trying to reach. And in all of those moments, whether it's at the gaming table or elsewhere, it is very important to remember that mental and emotional health has real implications the same way that breaking a bone or catching a virus or whatever else, there are real implications there. And if you find yourself in a situation in which you're becoming compromised like that, it's okay let's you know reach out to the people around you stop the situation if you have a good gm or a good group of friends or whatever the situation is they're going to understand if you raise a hand and just say hey i gotta slow this down i gotta step away i gotta back up um and and you know one of the great things that has happened in the last few years are things like the various gms toolkits that exist to be able to help players recognize when they are in an emotionally volatile situation or a triggering situation to be able to subtly you know negotiate those waters and indicate to the gm or to other key players in the group that this is a situation i can't be in i have to move away from it and it's also very important GMs and other players at the table who may not necessarily understand what that situation is. It is a game. If you are not emotionally compromised and somebody else is, it is 
not only entirely okay, but I would personally encourage you to find a way to healthily move out of that situation. Now, the follow-up to that, if you find yourself in an emotionally compromising situation like that, don't just leave it at the table. If you find that you are consistently feeling those types of triggering emotions or putting yourself into unsafe situations, one of the things that I've trained my employees to do at the store, for example, is if people are you know, coming in and buying booster pack after booster pack after booster pack one at a time, right? That's a gambling behavior. That is an emotionally compromised person who is seeking help. And we need to be very empathetic to that, even though it might be financially fortuitous to me to sell, you know, 80 packs of magic one pack at a time. It does nothing for the person on the other side of the counter. And it's a really sleazy way to get money. Similarly, if the only way that your character is going to feel good is by exhibiting behaviors that are causing others to feel in danger, even if the danger to you is imaginary and you don't understand it to that person in that moment, it is very emotionally real. Um, Those are all excellent points. Those are, that's wonderful. Um, let me ask you this, and this goes to both Dan and to Alton. I think I'll start with Dan on this one. Um, you know, given your preference, if you could sit down at a table and let, let, let's focus on tabletop RPG specifically, but you're sitting down to do a role-playing game. Would you prefer to be emotionally attached or more emotionally detached as you sit down to play a tabletop RPG and irrespective of the answer, why? I prefer emotionally attached because then it's more exciting. I'm invested in the game. When I'm detached, I don't really care about the game. I don't care if I'm winning or I'm losing and I'm more... More than likely, I'm looking at my watch like, okay, when's this going to be over? When I'm emotionally attached to the game, I'm excited. I'm in. I'm invested in the game. Um, example, uh, I went over to a buddy's house several weeks ago, and we were playing Mysterium, you know? And I could not guess the right answer for the life of me, <laughs> okay? And everyone was giving me a bad time. And it didn't matter. I was emotionally involved so much that I was just like, I mean, they were just like, uh, you couldn't, it, it just got to this kind of running gag where, when they're starting to, to, when they're like, oh, it's, it's gotta be, this is, this is my guy. And I'm just like, no, it's not. It's this guy. Like I started purposefully guessing wrong because that, I was just having more fun because I was emotionally attached into the game at that point it didn't it didn't matter if i was right or wrong but i was just i was going to prove that they were wrong eventually by one of my really bad guesses that i was going to be right it didn't work but that's okay i was having fun <laughs> well that almost sounds like that almost sounds like emotional detachment right like the outcome of the game was not important to you what was important to you was the interaction with the players at the table so but i, but I was attached to the game because of that because i was connecting with them Yes, it wasn't as if I had a character that I was emotionally attached to, but I was emotionally attached to what was going on around the table with the other players. I see. And I think that that is a very critical distinction there, is that an emotional attachment to an outcome is one form of emotional attachment to games and gaming or media or whatever else, right? 
Um, but it is also very healthy and very important to find other ways to be emotionally attached to things. It's one of the reasons that humans write tragedies, right? And we can enjoy Rogue One knowing that everyone is going to die, right? Like that is okay. And that's a situation in which we are emotionally invested, not in the explicit outcome for each individual character, but in the underlying themes of the lessons that are learned, of the stories that are generated and the successes that are gained. And all of that is very vital. Similarly, as we transfer to games, there are many, many games in which, you know, I play against the board collaboratively with everybody else, understanding that I'm probably not going to win, right? But it is the struggle and the interactions and the learning and being able to play with the other people at the table. All of those are things in which I am very emotionally invested and I have a great time. So I guess that brings us to sort of like the obvious answer here, but I got to ask the question anyway, Alton, mm -hmm. given a game, and I was focusing on tabletop RPGs, but it, it dovetails so well into the board games you've talked about so far, both of you. Um, would you prefer to be emotionally attached or emotionally detached? And what form do you more enjoy the game? So um, my favorite game of all time, which none of you have heard me talk about on this show ever before. Oh, a I can't little wait to hear known, little known craft, you know, backwater game called Twilight Imperium. Wait, what? You like Twilight Imperium? I know it's shocking. Um, so I have easily racked up over twenty games, maybe even over thirty games. Um, in the, I don't know eight years, seven years that I've played it, maybe even less than that. Holy cow, I got to think about that. Anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, of all of those 20 to 30, somewhere in that range playthroughs, I have won exactly twice. And both times wow. it was by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> but every single time I sit down to play that game, I get the butterflies in my stomach of going up the hill to the roller coaster. And and I get so pumped and so invested in that game. And it's not about me winning, even though there are times that I take gambits and I take risks. And I do, I do try my hardest is probably not the right word, but I, but I do play the game with the intent to win if possible. Well, sure, sure. Um, but nevertheless, every time I find myself having so much fun just interacting with the other players at the table and exploring the new strategies for the various factions that I play and seeing the way that the board is laid out, right? Like I get so emotionally invested in that game and I love it. I think that if I wasn't emotionally invested in that game, that would be hours of me sitting there crunching numbers and I might have more wins but I would not have more fun and I probably wouldn't play the game as often. That is so true. So, you know, we kind of got to your story a little earlier than I thought we would, Elton, but you gave this beautiful story of your Tengu character ascending to the next purpose post-mortem, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that was this beautiful and emotional experience. Dan, um, what was, what, what's a story in your extensive RPG past that had an emotional connection that resonated with you deeply that you remember to this day? 
there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. Um, there are stories where players were so emotionally invested that we've stopped, we've had to stop games. Um, so, man, I guess the question is, is which one do I go with? Uh, something that, you know, I created a story that emotionally invested a player or one of my own. Um, you know, an example of a player that was emotionally invested. Um, I have a few, I have several of those. My favorite, though, is a, a buddy of mine played a, a, a paladin. Um, very lawful good. I know very few people that can play that alignment. It's a really hard alignment to play. And yet this friend of mine did it like really, really well. It's probably the first time I'd ever seen it done so well. Um, we're, we're going along and I set this up really well because I wanted to see what the group would do. Basically they're outside of a city there's this giant crucifix with this old man strapped to it. He's wailing. He's I, he, he barely looks like he he's on, he's on his last limbs of life. Uh, he yeah he hasn't ate for a long time, and so they're there and he's weeping and crying for help, and he stops the entire group and says, "I cannot go any further." I need to know this man's crimes. And so they talk to him and he's like, I've been unjustly put up here. Uh, you know, uh, it just goes off saying he's done nothing wrong. The town just attacked him and they, without a, a, a trial, they have strung him up on this crucifix for him to die. And, and it, this literally goes for an hour and a half where this paladin, this character is fighting with the rest of the group. They're just like, dude, no, there's something wrong here. We need to go. And he's like, I cannot. My oath to my God, do not allow me to just ignore this injustice. Because this old man's just saying that he was attacked unprovoked. And now he's being crucified. He didn't get to have a trial and blah, blah, blah. And so he cuts the old man down and then this smoke billows up around him and he turns into a lich and he's like, now I can destroy those who, in, who unrighteously imprisoned me and then disappears. And this player just stops and says, I'm done. Collects up his things and walks out. Oh man. A week later, I get a text saying, I have not been able to sleep. You have put me in such an emotional quandary. I do not know what to do now with this character. And so we had to postpone for two weeks. And then he came back and knew where he was going to go. But that is emotionally invested in your character to the point where you make such a critical mistake that breaks your oaths breaks every moral thing that your character lives by and now you don't know what to do and and i love telling that story um and of course everyone after hearing that story when i've talked at panels and stuff like that says i don't want i don't want to play with you You're <laughs> um but now on the flip side as a player you know i have had times where i've been so emotionally invested with my character 
that you know you know i had a character uh named cookie he was a dwarven fighter and i wanted him to be the weirdest most unusual dwarf ever all of his weapons and armor were made from cooking utensils. He had scale mail armor and they were all bent spoons. He had a fry, he had a cooking pot for a helmet. He had a frying pan and a battle axe. Um, and he had a war pig and a fighting chicken named bacon and eggs. And that's fantastic. I love this character. I loved playing him. And I always, I was always looking for weird, you know, battle cries or, uh, things I could say when I was killing stuff that somehow went with cooking, you know, um, put a fork in it, you're done, you know, stuff like that. Um, I love playing that character because I got to do all these weird, quirky things with him, you know, and I would always yell, bacon, come to me, or, you know, let fly eggs or, you know, and I'd throw my chicken at someone's face and the chicken would clot their face while I, you know, I'd charge in on bacon. Um, but when he died, you know, it was, and, and it was because the dice, you know, I can't, I can't blame anyone else. It, it literally came down to the roll of the dice. I was playing to the best of my ability. The DM was doing his job. The dice failed me. The dice on the DM did not, and he died. But it was such an awesome death, and yes. everyone was just stunned. I mean, it was it was just this palpableness that was at the table because everyone's just like, "Did Cookie just die? Like, really? Did this just happen?" Because we were all invested in that character, and I'm just like wow, I'm dead. Yeah. I, and I took a moment. Now, now, I didn't take two weeks, but I took a moment for that to sink in. And I'm like, all right. He, he lived his life and that was it. So if I can ask a question. Yes. And this will cue up some other questions that I want to reflect back to Krebs in just a moment here. But why was that experience important to you as a person why does that stand as a jewel in your proverbial crown well because i mean the honest answer comes down to it was a character that was well lived it wasn't just this it was it wasn't a, a piece of paper with pencil markings on it with numbers and letters this was an actual being. You know, it's no different than when I write. When I write for a character, that character seems real to me. Um, same way with Cookie. Every time I talk about, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. It's not like, yeah, you know, I created a, a dwarven fighter. His name was Cookie. You know, the timber in my voice gets up. I'm talking a little bit faster. I'm excited. You can hear it. Um, and I think that's that is the key difference is this character had life breathed into it through me. Um, you know, just like my characters, you know, when I was talking to you earlier, I'm, I'm writing a book and I'm really struggling because I know I have to kill a character. And as I'm talking to you, like, Oh, you got to, you know, throw in some breadcrumbs, do it. And I'm like, ah, the breadcrumbs are already there. That's why I'm struggling. I've already set this up. I know this character's life is coming to an end 
And I don't want it to happen because, you know, that's just it. You know, the human condition, we don't want someone to die. These characters have a life of their own. They're connected to us and we don't want that connection to end, you know, because when they die, that connection does end. And at that point, now they're just memory. I love it. So, Krebs, we've done a lot of talking about our experiences and our favorite things. Now I'm going to be a jerk and turn the last few minutes of this discussion over to you. What is one of those jewel experiences that stands out to you from consuming media, whether that's a film or a book or a game or a character specifically? And why does that stand out as a vital piece of your story? Mm. Wow. That got real big, real fast. Um, you know, since you opened it up to any media, um, I'll hit some real high points. The very first time I allowed a teardrop to exit my duct and run down my face at a movie was when I saw the Patriot with Mel Gibson. And there's a scene where he has this really young daughter and she won't speak because of traumatic events. But then when he's about to go to war, she runs up to him and she just pleads with him speaking out loud that he doesn't go to war. And then he just gives her like the biggest Mel Gibson hug ever. And he says, you make me so proud. And then he like stands up and goes to war. And I just one, one teardrop went down my face. And this harkens back. We have talked so many times over previous episodes of negative experiences that we've had with our original paternal figures, the positive experiences we had with those, um, specifically those men who stepped in to take their place to give us a more positive uh, paternal figure, uh, our own sort of real life hero's journey. Um, that moment in The Patriot just punched me right in the heart. And that was before I was a father. I wept at that moment because I was still a child. And then as later on in life, when I became a father, all those moments, a quiet place where John Krasinski signs to his deaf daughter. Um, not everybody knows this. And, and this is a very loose thing, but there's a little bit of empathy there. I was actually born deaf, but it was, um, it was a medical condition that was curable. It's just, I didn't hear for the first little bit of my life. Uh, and that has obviously since been rectified, but um, there was, even though I never really experienced life in depth as a deaf child, I still felt a little bit of connection to this daughter. And then she had this strained relationship with her father and I felt a connection there. And then when he signs to her, I have always loved you. Then I connected with him as a father and that just crushed me. Uh, but like in the best way, it's not, it crushed is not the right word. It cracked me open. Uh, I tend to be a little bit stoic in real life. I tend to, at least the tender emotions I keep to myself, the fun emotions I let out, but the tender emotions I keep to myself and that movie cracked my exterior and it just came flooding out. When it comes to, uh, to a video game, uh, The Last of Us. The Last of Us is the only video game that has hit me emotionally. The first game, I, I don't think I've ever cried during the first game, but... I do get a bit emotional. I feel things. The second game, and I have said this before, I cried multiple times. And one time it was just straight ugly crying, racking sobs. Like I had real feelings. And these are digital characters that don't exist. 
but their meaning exists, their, their impact exists. And then finally, to put the cherry on top, with tabletop RPGs, um, I think uh, n- not necessarily going into like the deep weeping emotions per se, but I've, I've had a few emotional, like grand emotional experiences, um, usually, usually not always, but usually when I'm GMing. Um, because that's when I play a tabletop RPG, that's usually my role is I'm the, I'm the GM. I had, uh, I had this one moment, it was just me and one other player. And we were talking about his character who was being exiled, uh, until he could fulfill a mission. And he was part of the drow culture. Uh, and as he was about to leave his, uh, to leave his home, this subterranean home. Um, his backstory was that his father who had been a warrior had died. And so there was a headstone and that he had to go visit. So he went and visited and we used to love to listen to just music playing in the background while we play tabletop RPGs. And it just so happened that Pink Floyd's no more turning away was, was playing. And it happened to like hit the right notes at the right time. as he's saying farewell to his father's headstone. And both of us in like middle school and high school, are just going like, <clears throat> you know, just like hiding our, you know, mm, just suck that tear right back up into our eyes. We're not crying. We're not crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. You know, we were, we were immature kids then, but we still had that emotional moment. Fast forward years later, I made an NPC named Woosley, who, even though it was in a far future, this was for rifts in a far future in a post-apocalyptic world where you have these gateways that let in all sorts of aliens. You have high technology, you have magic, you have everything. Here is this character who is modeled after like 1920s safari adventurer. So he has like the, the khakis, he has the safari hat, he had, and he's British. So he has like these really small coin sized spectacles and this really woolly mustache. And, you know, he always speaks, you know, <clears throat> why, yes, you know. And he was this silly character that I came up with, and every player at the table utterly loved him. If he showed up on the scene for any reason, they would start cheering like Han just showed up in the Millennium Falcon at the Battle of, the, of Yavin 4, right? Like they were just cheering. In fact, when I ran a Star Wars game, I had some of those players in that group and I did introduce the Millennium Falcon pre-Han Solo um, to the game piloted by Woosley and those players pumped their fists in the air and cheered out loud. He's a ridiculous NPC character. He's utterly silly, but he's also that guy. He's almost like Bob. He's almost like silent Bob from the Kevin Smith films where there's like this moment, this precise moment where Woosley says something utterly just, just deeply meaningful and has incredible impact and shatters everyone's perspective on something. And then just walks away. Like he's done nothing major at all. And they love him for it. He's not real. He's not real. But, and it's an NPC, he's not even a player. But the fact that he's able to show up and the connection that they have to their characters and the connection they have through their characters to Woosley matters to them. And that's when I know as a GM, I've done something worthwhile. Absolutely love it. You know, with with my Tengu, it's the same way. Uh, I, I really want to run a campaign for you guys at some point because even though i don't put him into my one shots all the time he's an easter egg that i put into all of my campaigns heck yes even if i'm even if i'm running something out of a book i make sure that there's an opportunity um and so it's not really a question of if but when that interaction will happen 
And with that, I, I know it. we're running out of time and I'm sure that you have a great question for our audience at home. Yes, indeed, I do. Uh, audience at home, what was the most emotionally meaningful experience you've had over a game? That could be a video game, could be a tabletop game, board game or RPG, card game even. What was the most emotionally valuable experience you've ever had, the most me emotionally meaningful experience you've ever had around a game? We will post that up on the Discord. Please just, uh, what is what I'm looking for? Hang on, hang on, hang on. <clears throat> Please flood us with your answers. Just drown us in the epicness that is your personal gaming history. We want to hear all your stories. We'll pick a few of them to read on the air. You guys are awesome. Cannot wait to hear what has meant something to you. You know, and real quickly, uh, I like the fact that you guys have Easter eggs in your games. I thought I was the only one that did that. Um, mine is really <laughs> weird and minute. It's a white squirrel. There's always a white squirrel that shows up. And anytime the white squirrel shows up, something happens. It's, it's, a, it's always a good thing. But, um, and, and it originally happened because I had, and generally in conjunction, there's an old befuddled man that shows up with the white squirrel as well. Um, and, and it happened long ago when I built my own world. He was the god of good. But you always knew because it was he was befuddled and, and couldn't hear very well and it was just not, he was difficult to deal with. And the squirrel was nutty. Like the squirrel would do the weirdest things, like pick up a nut and throw it at people. But I loved that having that Easter egg in there each time, each and every time I've played. Um, and I've even done it in other game systems. Like I had it in, in Firefly when I ran a, a game of Firefly with Scott and some friends. And they're just like, what the crap is up with this old dude? And they just kind of left. But for me, that was like, that was my mark in the game. So uh, I love I'm it. glad to know I am not the only one. Uh, so folks, give us your stories. We'd love to hear them. We'll read some of those out. We definitely want to hear from you guys. Join our Discord community um, because we want to make that community bigger and stronger and start getting a lot more activity uh, happening on there. So, uh, and if you have any suggestions for topics for the show that you would love to hear, let us know those too, because we would love to talk about something that you want to know, whether it's, hey, I, how do you make a great villain? How do you make a great hero? How do you make your story so compelling that your players want to come back from week to week and not continue to throw pizza at me? Who knows? <laughs> it could be any of those things. We want to hear from, the, from you about those things. Uh, so... With that said, we're out of here. Dungeon Crawlers, tell those stories. Tell your story, whatever may come. And no matter what emotional range you experience during the game, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you always.